Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sins. And his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. Shall we pray? Father, we give thanks to you for your holy written word, thanking you also for the anointing upon your word and upon our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be open. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the Spirit and the power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, that we can trust our lives to the provisions of your word and that you are watching over your word to perform it and to make it good in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We have already been obedient to issue the warning to the unrighteous or to the unjust. This morning, as I've stated, we will begin to issue the warning to the righteous. Now, you don't need to sit there and get all upset and start shaking or quivering. But you do have to listen very carefully to understand what is being said. And so I just trust that as you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, that revelation knowledge will flow forth freely from your spirit. And the great teacher, the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, will teach you the true and proper balance of God's Word. First, let's begin by defining the righteous. The righteous are those who have been born again. The righteous are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous, now we're speaking of the righteous in the day in which we live. We know that this could not be possible under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, of course, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The righteous are those who have become new creatures or new creations in Christ Jesus. We call them saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Outside of Jesus Christ, no one is righteous. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, No, there's none that righteous that are righteous, not even one. Well, if you're in Christ, if you've been blood washed, you're born again, you've become a new creation, you're saved, then you're classified as being the righteousness of God in Christ. Outside of Christ, no matter how good a person is, no matter how religious he or she is, you cannot be the righteousness of God in Christ. So once again, we are addressing the righteous, those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, just to give you New Testament scriptures that confirm what is being said here by the prophet Ezekiel, 
And I've used this text because that's where the Spirit of God led me that night that He spoke to my heart and said, I want you to issue a warning to the just and to the unjust, saying that the hour of decision is at hand. See, throughout all the land, a decision must be made, for there are many in the valley of decision who have not made the decision, and that decision must be made. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, you could turn to it if you like to. If not, I'll quote it to you. The Bible says that we are to awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul, in verse 33 says, Evil communications corrupt good manners, so don't be deceived. Awake to righteousness, now notice, and sin not. And that's exactly what Ezekiel is saying here, that the righteous sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. It's a shame, he's saying, that you don't have the knowledge, this knowledge of God that says that the righteous just don't sin. The righteous are not to habitually practice sin. And then in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, the apostle Paul asked this question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then in 1 John, another witness, in the third uh, chapter of his first epistle, and verse 9 says that since we've been born of God, the seed of God remaineth in us, and we cannot sin because we are born of God. So once again we see or we can distinguish the difference between those who are blood-washed, born again, children of God, and those who are of the evil one, for John said, the righteous sin not, in so many words. So once again, we see here that we have New Testament Scripture that, of course, supports this foundational teaching. You are the righteousness of God in Christ if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and have become a new creature. And the righteous sin not. Now, my first assignment, of course, is going to be dealing with those who can be termed, well, for lack of better words, I'm just going to say it this way, the willful offender. The willful offender. See, there are those in the body of Christ that have different attitudes towards sin. And so, because there are different attitudes, we can have different classifications. Or we can categorize Christians in different categories, classify them differently. We'll talk about and discuss the willful offender. And we'll also talk about and discuss the neglector. And we'll also talk about and discuss the rejecter in our dealings with the righteous. But we'll begin here with the willful offender. The willful offender. So you might want to make note of that. Now, the willful offender is the one who has turned from his righteousness. Ezekiel said... In verse 20 here, of course, the Lord speaking through him. When a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness. Now notice, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. But can you turn from that righteousness? Absolutely. Without question. You can turn from that righteousness if you choose. So the willful offender is one who chooses to turn from righteousness and commit iniquity. So our first assignment will be then to address the willful offender who turns from his righteousness to commit iniquity. Now, once again, I want to say this before we go on, that this is no easy assignment. 
it will take godly wisdom and skillful use of the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. To give you an analogy, we can compare the sword of the, word, of, of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, uh, with a surgeon's knife. Now, when a surgeon is called upon to perform a delicate operation on a vital body organ, his assignment is to do what? To remove that which is bad while preserving and preparing, or repairing that which is good. And we know that if he misuses or improperly uses that knife, that the same knife that could remove the bad and repair and preserve the good can also slip and produce irreparable damage to vital body organs or vital body parts. Well, you see, the same thing is true whether we're talking about physical heart surgery or whether we're talking about spiritual <clears throat> heart surgery. See, the heart of man, of course, we realize his organ, the heart, is a vital organ in the body. But, you see, he also has a spiritual heart, and the spiritual heart of man is also a vital spiritual organ. And whenever we are called upon to deal with the heart of a born-again believer, you see, then we're called upon to perform an operation with the sword of the Spirit. And if we misuse the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then we likewise can cause irreparable damage to that tender heart of that young Christian, that young babe in Christ. So you see, my assignment then is not an easy one. The assignment is delicate. It's like a delicate operation being performed upon the individual hearts of the children of God. Now, the, for an example here, we have many different stages of spiritual growth and development represented here in this church body today. Some might want you to sit, sit out there and they might want you to start preaching hellfire and brimstone. Well, you know, there's a place for that. But my brother and my sister, there are those out there that if you preach just that kind of a message, you're, you will produce much damage with the sword of the Spirit in the young tender heart of that young babe in Christ. Why? Because they are in a different place at a different level of spiritual growth and development. Then again, you have others who are in a position where they've maybe neglected uh, their salvation. And they need to hear a hard message preached directly to them to stir them up, to cause them to awake to righteousness and sin not. So no matter how you look at it, you have different attitudes and, and different places of spiritual growth represented out there among the, uh, the people of the body. And if you're not careful to use the sword of the Spirit accurately with godly wisdom and skill then you can cause, once again, irreparable damage to take place within the heart of the people of God. Now, let me give you an example. We know that much opposition has, been, has come against, let's say, the, the faith message. The message of faith, as we call it. Well, you see, the message of faith was designed to produce, within the heart of the individual believer, faith in his or her own dominion that God gave designed to reveal the authority of the believer, to let them know that they can take their rightful place in the body of Christ and exercise spiritual dominion over all the powers of darkness. Well, because of misrepresentation, we found out and discovered, we've, we've all discovered this, we're not blinded to this, we understand this, 
that the faith message created spiritual monsters. Do you know that? The faith message created spiritual monsters. There were those who developed such a, a, an attitude, I mean just a you know, greater-than-thou attitude, holier-than-thou attitude, that uh, they just began to put others down in the body of Christ who didn't understand their position as a king and a priest before God, as one who had spiritual power and authority over all the powers of darkness. And they walked about with a, an attitude of arrogance, like as though we know more than you do. And they shunned their brother and their sister. And they wouldn't walk with those who didn't confess like they confessed or spoke like they spoke. Amen. Let's, let's face it, it's true. But that wasn't the real message. That was misrepresentation of the true message. Then on the other hand, uh, we see that, that those who attempted to bring balance to the message of faith, they went to the one extreme, no matter what the message is, my brother and my sister, realize there are two extremes. And one of the most difficult things for people to do in the body of Christ is to walk down the straight and narrow. Is to walk down the straight and narrow. Because you're going to have those in the ditch on one side and those in the ditch on the other side. And both ditches represent extremism. There were those who just began to preach a message, I mean a storm, just like a storm, just to come and preach against the faith message, calling anyone and everyone who preaches and teaches faith a heretic, an extremist, a blasphemer of God. And they would just begin to cut with the sword, just cut and cut and cut and cut and cut until they've done spiritual damage in the tender heart of many of the children of God. Consequently, they went from that ditch on that side and caused people to fall in the ditch on the other side. On the other side, there were those that said, forget about all this, don't even listen to what these people are saying about faith, about the authority of the believer, and, and about the dominion that God gave them. And so they fell in that ditch on the other side. And so those who were in positions of leadership, they began to produce and, and bring forth messages of condemnation they, uh, and produce, you know, messages and put together messages that would destroy instead of build up. Now, that's not proper use or skillful use or godly wisdom when it comes to using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Even though there existed spiritual monsters, even though there existed those who, who've had a laxity, toward, I mean, just a laxness towards sin. Just, just lacks towards sin, a lightness towards sin. And we know that that happened. We know that there are those who thought they can go out there and just do anything that they want to do. Live the kind of life they wanted to live. Set up their own standards of righteousness. And just do their own thing out there. Because you see, now I'm the righteous of God in Christ. doesn't matter what I do. Even though the air was out there. And even though there were those who misrepresented the truth. And even there were those who, who developed this, this attitude of arrogance and lightness. There's still a proper way to bring balance to the body of Christ and balance to a message that is true that comes from the Spirit of God when He anoints men to bring forth that message. There is a proper way without causing irreparable damage to come into the life and heart of the child of God. And we have got to understand that, my brother and sister. We must understand it. Otherwise, we will be guilty of doing the same thing. So let me say in advance that these messages that I will be about to preach are designed to produce godly, reverential fear 
in the heart of the believer and not condemnation. They are designed to produce conviction and once again, not condemnation. For another example, and turn there with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For another example, another illustration. There was a time when those who were involved in Pentecostal holiness, they would preach a carnal Christian into hell for everything that they did that they thought was wrong. There was a time that you were going to hell if you wore makeup. There was a time that you were going to hell if you had a Christmas tree in your house. There was a time that you were going to hell if your skirt length was a half an inch above your knee. There was a time that people were going to hell if they smoked a cigarette. There was a time when people were going to hell for every petty thing that you could possibly name and you can possibly think of. If you wore jewelry, you were going to hell for that. If you didn't attend church, you were going to hell for that. And so they took one, ex one side of the ditch, one extreme position, and they just began to preach the carnal Christian into hell. And they preached such a message that it brought irreparable damage to the hearts of many of God's people. And may I say it this way, there were many who were not attending church who were better Christians at home in some respects. You can't be better by staying at home. But in some respects than those that sat in a pew. And I'll tell you why. Because although they sat in a pew and they didn't wear makeup, and although they sat in a pew and maybe they didn't smoke a cigarette or drink an alcoholic beverage, they sat there and they talked and they gossiped and they did all other things which as far as God is concerned, sowing discord among the brethren to name one of them, is an abomination in his sight. But yet, they're on their way to heaven, and the others are on their way to hell. They're committing one sin, the others are committing another. How do we classify sin? How do you classify sin? Smoking is a sin that sends you to hell, but backbiting and sowing discord and seeds of, of discontent uh, among the brethren, that's not sin. The Bible says that it's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. So what do you do? We better look to what the Word of God says about it. Listen to what it says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. How many of you know the Corinthians were carnal? Anybody read your Bible enough to know that? How many of you can agree with me that the Corinthians were a carnal bunch of people? They were carnal Christians. If you don't believe it, look at chapter 3. Just read verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul says, I can't speak unto you as unto spiritual, but only as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ, although they were not babes in Christ. Because there's strife, because there's envy, because there's division among you. But now notice, here's the point I want to make. make. Are they going to hell because they're carnal? Are they doomed for eternal fire and damnation because they are carnal? The answer is found in verse 22 and 23. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Who's he talking to? The same ones he can't talk to spiritually. Does that give a license to sin? Absolutely not. Does that give a license to be carnal? Absolutely not. Paul was stating certain facts. You people are envious. You've got jealousy. You've got strife. You've got discord. You've got a lot of factions among you. Factions among you that almost cause church split. But are they going to hell for that? It's not right to do. It's not right to have. 
It's no different than somebody who's smoking. It's no different than somebody who's wearing makeup. All these things show carnality. They represent carnality. Paul said they were carnal, didn't name the other things, but he talked about these things and still says concerning this carnal bunch, you are Christ's, Christ is God's. All things belong to you. And what he was trying to get them to see was a way to righteousness and stop this carnality business. Get spiritual and stop being carnal and move on with the things of God. See, he addressed sin a little bit later to the Corinthians, other types of sin, soul-damning sins. The Bible says there's a sin that's not unto death, and the Bible says there's a sin unto death. And so he, he talked about some of these things, and we'll see some of those things later on. But do you, you see what I'm saying? We need to bring balance, and we need to bring truth to light when it comes to these important subjects of the Bible. I'm going to just be so bold as to say it this way. If carnal Christians do not make heaven, no one is in heaven except Jesus. Let me see, Elijah said that he, the Bible says about Elijah, but he was just, we, we think he's so spiritual, you know. But there was a time that, I mean, you talk about a righteous man, Elijah being a righteous man, when he wanted to die. When he was uh, murmuring and complaining, squalling about his assignment. Do you remember that? Made so many mistakes. Moses. God had to reprimand him. We're not allowing them to the promised land. Why? Carnality. Amen. Carnality. That's why. And we can go on and, and just name all. So many in the Bible. So many. I'm talking about the ones that we say are just great in faith. Abraham had some faults. Did you know that? So did David. Actually, about the only one I could think that was totally spiritual was Jesus. It gets quiet when you preach like this. But let's state, state it like it is. If carnal Christians don't make heaven, heaven is going to be a very empty place. How many of you believe that you've attained to the highest degree of spirituality in your life? Well, if Jesus comes today, aren't you glad you're still going to go to heaven? I certainly am. So I'm not going to preach people in hell just because of carnality. But we'll talk about some things that will send you there if you continue in them. So let's look at another scripture and show what we're supposed to do then. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The message, once again, is not designed to produce condemnation. It is designed to produce conviction. Conviction is a product of the spirit of man. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. If there's conviction in your spirit about certain things that you will be hearing, recognize and realize that conviction that rises up on the inside is to be productive for us in your life. To get you to respond to what the Word of God has brought to light that is wrong in your life and make changes. But if your heart condemn you not in certain matters, well, then you've got great confidence toward God. So just walk in the light that you have. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, now I want you to notice here, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Now notice, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word correction there in the Greek 
It means to restore things to their proper use and place. Correcting false theories and practices. It is not to be used improperly. It is to be used with wisdom and skill. We are to skillfully use the Word of God to make necessary corrections, to restore things to their proper use, like we talked about worship and praise, or to its proper place, correcting false theories and false practices. Now, of course, we realize that we are to be open to correction. And when the Word of God is preached properly, we are to receive correction from the Word of God, not from the individual who is bringing it forth. It comes from the Word of God. It's what God has spoken. It's what God has said. And just because in times past we were preached hellfire and brimstone, my brother and sister, every time I went to church, the pastor preached hellfire and brimstone. And I was a brand new babe in Christ. And I, I began to learn about the love walk and the faith walk. And I began to walk in it. And every time I would go to church, I would walk out of that place with my head down low. I would walk away from that place unedified. Untaught. I finally began to get to a place in my Christian experience that I really thought that I was just an unworthy worm in the dust and there's no way I can possibly please God. And so I says, what's the use even going to church? Because every time I go there, I get beat over the head. Talk about somebody who didn't go to church all the time. Somebody who went on a family picnic instead of coming to church. Saying that a family picnic. See, that's condemnation. Was more important than, than going to the church service. Yet the people were faithful all the other times, but they had a family reunion to go to. So this pre preacher would just preach condemnation from the pulpit. And the thing that used to amaze me was is that the people were never there who he was preaching about. They were at the picnic. So I'm thinking, here I am sitting in church listening to this guy preach about the picnic that these people went to and getting on everybody's case because they were not there. And I want to be taught. I want to learn something. I want to worship God. I'm not concerned about that. I want to know what the Word of God teaches me. We're here to worship. Not to get browbeat. So you see, once again, it's not designed to produce condemnation. It's not designed to do that. It's designed to produce conviction from the Word of God. If we are guilty, you see, of not walking properly before the Lord... But I'll tell you this, if you have confidence in your heart when you hear some of these things, it's going to be because you are walking uprightly before God and you're in agreement with what the Word of God says. You know that you're walking in the righteousness of God. But once again, if you're not, you'll have conviction. You'll have conviction deep inside your heart. And that's the Spirit of God saying the hour of decision is at hand. You've got to make a decision as to what you're going to do. Will you change with the, with? What's happening? See, beloved, we want change to take place in our lives, but you know, we don't know what we're asking for. When you ask for change in your life, do you know what you're saying? I want to get a little bit closer to the, to the consuming fire of your holiness so that you burn up the chaff in my life. And then pain starts. You want to talk about physical pain? You ready for, you ready for some physical pain? You get closer to that holiness of God, a little bit closer like this here. You know what happens? You begin to see that your eye offends you. And Jesus says, if it does, pluck it out. That's painful. You begin to see that your hand offends you. And Jesus said, if it does, cast, cut it off. Because, you see, it's better for you to have one body part dismembered, just cut off, than, and enter into heaven than to go into hell because of that one member of your body. You get closer to the holiness of God and you find out your tongue, that small member, it's offensive. 
And oh, it's painful to try to keep that thing quiet. Come on now. Are you with me out there? I want to change my life, Lord. Yeah, get a little closer to my holiness and the consuming fire of, of my holiness. And you'll start to see some pain take place. But Lord, I used to do it this way all the time. See, with one breath we want change, but in the next breath we really don't. Because when you find out what it's going to entail in your life, then you, then you start to back off. I mean, I can't do that anymore? That's what it means. Uh-oh. You mean I can't put my thumb, thumb on top of my wife anymore? That's what it means. Yeah, but you know, I'm from the old school. It doesn't matter what school you're from. The Bible says that husbands are to dwell with their wives according to the knowledge of God's Word. Now, this, once again, the word here, this is what the, the Scriptures are given for. For instruction in righteousness. Notice, for instruction in righteousness. See, we need to be instructed in righteousness so that we can walk in righteousness. So, many who turn from righteousness, you see, have no excuse. Because they've been instructed in righteousness. And they've heard the truth. And once they've heard that truth, then you see they are forewarned. Now, then the decision is up to them as to what they're going to do with their life. Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. All this is just laying a foundational platform, groundwork that needs to be done before we touch the willful offender. Hebrews chapter 13. I've been stating the fact that the hour is at hand throughout all the land that a decision must be made. Now, let's... To you, whether you're the righteous or the unrighteous. We've talked to the unrighteous. We said that multitudes are in the valley of decision. Multitudes, not just a few, but multitudes are in the valley of decision. And they've got to make up their mind as to what they are going to do with their personal Christian experience. It's not just the unrighteous who are out there, it's also the righteous who are in a valley of decision. They've got to determine what they are going to do with their Christian experience. Are they going to grow? Are they going to develop? Will they continue to neglect the things of God? Or will they begin to become diligent in the things of God? The willful offender is one who must stop what he is doing, but the neglector is one who must start doing something. The rejecter is one who must receive with meekness the engrafted word that will, be in, that will be able to save his soul. Because he has rejected the knowledge of God, God cannot help him. And you'll find out that there are at least these three classified among the righteous. There are those who will just reject the knowledge of God when it's brought forth. And if they do, the Bible says God will reject them. There are those who neglect. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Remember Paul admonished Timothy? Neglect not. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In the book of Hebrews chapter 2. There are those who neglect. We call this sins of omission. They don't pray. They don't read their Bible. They don't teach. They don't instruct their family. They don't take their place as the head of the household. Sins of omission. They don't fellowship with the saints. They don't give unto the Lord the tithe and the offering. They rob God. Those who neglect to do what He has said to do. Those who do not pray for the government officials. So you see, when we talk about sin, we're talking about a whole lot, aren't we? When we address the righteous, my goodness, we've got a big field out there, don't we? 
Now, now here in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, I just want to read these scriptures first. In, or chapter 12, rather, I'm sorry. Chapter, chapter 12 of, of Hebrews. And begin reading at verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched a mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come under Mount Zion, under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh, which speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him, turn away, underline, turn away. For if, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven." And this word yet once more signified the removing, underline removing of those things that are shaking as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." Now, we claim as born-again believers to be headed toward a holy heaven to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God. Our holy God, our Father, is a consuming fire. Notice verse 29. For our God is... A consuming fire. As a consuming fire, I want you to note this, it is the fire of His holiness. He perfects the spirits of just men. See, we've not come to the Mount, Mount Sinai where the law was given, where Moses feared and quaked at the sight thereof where those who approached improperly were burned up immediately. No, we've not, we're not approaching that kind of fire. We have come to Mount Sion. We have come to the very throne room of God. We've come before the Father of spirits who perfects the spirits of just men by the consuming fire of His holiness. And if we claim to be headed toward a holy heaven to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God, 
then it stands the reason that we must be perfected and changed into a holy people. How? By the consuming fire of His holiness. By the consuming fire of God's holiness. In other words, we have come to His standards of righteousness. We have come before the presence of His holiness. He is the one who speaks out of heaven to set the standards of righteousness for you and for me. And it is up to us to align ourselves with His standards of righteousness and to live our lives according to what He has spoken in His Word. And if you think it was amazing or it was something that if somebody came in properly before His presence and touched that mountain that they burned up, my brother and sister, He's saying right here, you haven't seen anything yet. As believers, yes, we feared the fire of hell. But my brother and my sister, we should fear even more so the consuming fire of His holiness. Why? If it were not for His mercy, the Bible says, we all would be what? We'd be consumed. Consumed by what? By the fire of His holiness. Our God is such a holy God. A consuming fire of holiness. That if anybody approaches His presence or anything approaches His presence, not according to His divine nature, well, whatever it is, it's going to be burned up. It's going to be consumed because of the holiness of God. For an example, you take Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, you could read verses 1 right on through 5 or 6 right there. When Isaiah walked before the, got before the presence of God in that vision, the first thing he recognized was the holiness of God. I saw the Lord. He's dumbfounded. Talking about a great prophet of God. I saw high and lifted up. And the angels cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There was a fire. And the voice shook the very pillars, the foundation of the throne room of God. And I said, Woe is unto me, because I'm undone, I'm unclean. See, the holiness of God will always expose the faults and the failures and the imperfections of a human being. Even though we've been born again. Anybody here been made perfect totally yet? Now, we are perfect in, in the sense that we have the life and nature of God within us. But we are perfect and on our way to perfection, just as a child is born perfect, yet on its way to maturity. And when you stand before the, the holiness of God Almighty, just as Isaiah did, you just recognize all your frailties, all your faults, all of your imperfections. You begin to humble yourself before God like He did, and you say, my goodness, look at the glory, the holiness the consuming fire of God's holiness before me. Woe is unto me. I'm undone. I'm unclean. That's what he did. But one of the, the Lord sent one of the angels to go over there and get a coal off the fire of sacrifice. Touched his tongue and said, You're clean. You're purged from that iniquity. Now, who are we going to send out to speak to the people about these things? And Isaiah said, Send me, I'll go. See, when you get that close to the holiness of God, my brother and sister, the chaff is burned up. And that's why I'm saying, when we say we want change in our individual Christian lifestyles, you know why so many only go so far in spiritual growth and development? Because they say with their lips they want change. But when God puts them in a position whereby change must take place, they back off because He's so holy. It's going to mean definite changes in, in my own lifestyle, in my character. 
in the things that I do and in the things that I don't do. That's what it means. And so many back off from that. And they don't respond. I mean, Isaiah responded absolutely immediately because he knew he was purged and he knew he had to go. See, that was his response or his reaction to the holiness of God. Well, these messages are designed to produce reverential, godly fear in each and every one of our lives. You know why? So restoration can take place within each and every one of our lives so that we can serve God with reverence and with great godly fear because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It's the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to walk with, in wisdom before God, you've got to fear. You've got to fear. Godly fear. The fire of His holiness. You've got to fear it, my brother and sister. We've not come to that Mount Sinai, but we've come to the city of God where the spirits of just men through the fire of His holiness are made what? They are perfected. See, that's the only way you and the, the two of us, all of us here together, that's the only way we'll be perfected before God. It's by the consuming fire of His holiness that we will be perfected. Look at verse 27. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, in connection with this, I want you to notice that God wants a removing. Now, I know He's talking about the removing of the old heavens and the old earth. But still, it's going to be done by the, by the consuming fire of His holiness. So that the, the world in which we live, the new heavens and the new earth is one of holiness and purity. And it will be purified by the fire of His holiness, made acceptable for holy people to live in it from that point thereafter. But the same thing holds true in your life and in my life. If we want the chaff removed from our lives, if we want the impurities or the imperfections removed from each and every one of our lives, then we must come and stand before the fire of His holiness and allow Him to consume everything and anything that is inconsistent with His divine nature in our lives. Now get a hold of that because it's so important. We must come before His presence, the presence of His holiness, and we must allow Him to consume anything and everything that is inconsistent with His divine nature in our lives. Everything that displeases Him, everything that we do that He doesn't like, we come before His presence, we behold as in a mirror the glory of our God. We behold the holiness of our God. See, then it's no longer an issue, should I, should I not smoke? It's no longer an issue, should I, or should I not drink? It's no longer an issue, should I do this, or should I do that? The issue is this, if you come before the presence of a holy God and you recognize the consuming fire of His holiness and you see yourself in the light of that and you recognize all of your imperfections that you have, you have no choice but to, just to throw yourself down on your face before the presence of a holy God and say, Father God, burn up the chaff in my life. One will not have to tell you what is right or what is wrong. You will know what is right. You will know what is wrong. Isaiah said, I dwell in the midst of a people who are unclean. He didn't have to say who was right and who was wrong. He knew it. Why? Because he had such insight into the holiness 
the holy, consuming fire of God. He knew it. And many of us, once again, brother and sister, we are in the valley of decision. We need to make certain decisions as to what we are going to do with our spiritual lives. Will we go on in God? Or are we complacent? Or are we satisfied? Or are we content with what we have? Will we look into the, the fire, the consuming fire of God's holiness? And will we proclaim and say, Yes, change me, burn up the chaff in my life, Lord. Everything and anything inconsistent with your divine nature in my life, burn it up. Now, are you ready for this? The reason why you want it burned up now is because it will either be burned up now or later. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No, it does not pay to be carnal, my brother and my sister. Don't think I let you off the hook by saying that carnal Christians go to heaven. Because once you find out what they get in heaven, you don't want to be a carnal Christian. But let's bring the message out like it is. They still go to heaven. See, Paul was not letting them off the hook by saying that you're Christ and, and Christ is God's and all things are yours. He wasn't letting them off the hook and saying it's okay to be carnal and have strife and envy and division among you. He wasn't saying that. But he was saying this. Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, uh, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by Fire And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. Now, I don't know about you. I like being saved. But I don't know that I would like to stand before the presence of a holy God on Judgment Day. And every believer will have to stand before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to give an all discourse, an account of his own life that he lived upon this earth so that he can receive the rewards for what he has done in his body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And stand there in the presence of his holiness... The burning, consuming fire of the holiness of God. And God, right there, try the reins of our hearts, my heart, and says, I want you to know something, son. As you stand in my presence before the holiness of my countenance, my glory, that the fire that is flowing forth, that you see here right now, is going to burn up everything in anything that you did that was inconsistent with my heart motives and my heart attitudes here upon this earth, when you lived on that earth. And the fire of God just begins right at that point. You see, only God knows what's inside the heart of a man to burn up this work that you did, that work that you did. Yeah, you gave, but you gave begrudgingly. Yeah, you helped that brother out, but you told everybody in the neighborhood about it. Yeah, you did this and yeah, you did that and, and all these things. But you see, he says the fire of my holiness is so pure that anything and everything that you did that was inconsistent with my divine nature will be, boom, burned up instantly, just like that. Why do you think Paul said, I don't want to be found naked in Second Corinthians chapter 5? I don't want to be found naked. 
What do you mean, Paul? He says, well, when I take off the earthly suit of this tabernacle, I have a building of God right here. But you see, I'm going to be standing before the presence of God. And I want to be pleasing unto Him so that when I stand before the judgment seat, I am not ashamed to stand before the fire of His holiness. And that my works are not consumed. And evidently, the Apostle Paul knew that he fulfilled the plan, the purpose, and the will of God for his life. How do you know that? Because he said, there is stored up for me a crown of righteousness because I finished my course. He knew these things. He had insight into these things. He says, you're running a race. You want to achieve, obtain a crown. I've not done it yet. He says, but I'm pressing toward that mark. I have a a goal to achieve. I have a mark to, to attain to in my life. I realize and recognize that I'm going to stand one day before the presence of God's glory. And He's going to burn up all the the things that I've done out of a wrong motive and attitude in my life. He said you'll be saved, but as by fire. And everything else will be consumed. And the rewards will be taken away. Did Jesus not say when you do your alms, don't do it before men? Did He say that? Why? You lose your reward in heaven. When you pray, did he say, don't be as a hypocrite? Why? Because you have your reward, and when you get to heaven, you lose your reward. When he, when he said, when you fast, what did he say to do? Don't do, do it to be seen of men. Why? Because if you do, you may have fasted for 21 days. You may have fasted for who knows how long. But you'll lose all the reward when you get into heaven. It'll be burned up as a fire. That's what he's talking. See, the carnal Christian will, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Going back to Hebrews chapter 12 again, look at verse 28. Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we... I, I don't like... The, the one translation says, let us have grace, but another says... Let us hold fast, whereby we may serve God, serve God, not just be saved, but serve God, how? Acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. And God is bringing restoration to these things within the body of Christ. I mean, Christians are going to be judged for getting up and walking out of services when the Holy Ghost is moving. Did you know that? How many of you want to hear it like it is? How many of you want it told the way it is? They will be judged for getting up and, and disrupting the move of the Spirit of God. And my brother and sister, I, I mean that. God is moving by His Spirit. Yes, disrespect and irreverence is displayed and demonstrated by the people of God. We can get away with that down here upon the earth, you think. But you won't when you stand before the, 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 his, the presence of His holiness and that, and that consuming fire of His holiness. Let's, let's look at this scripture in connection with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's do this. We will get to the willful offender here in a minute. Or maybe in a week. But we, I guarantee you we will get to it. This is all foundational. See, you'll stand there also giving an account for the neglect. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
I'm going to quickly read verses 1 right on through, then we'll connect with verses 9 and 10. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor or eagerly strive that whether present or absent, we may be acceptable or walk acceptably or be well-pleasing of Him. Why, Paul? Because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You see, there is no escape of the judgment for the believer. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. Real quick, quickly here, Romans chapter 14 and verse 12. It's close by. Just go back a little bit. 14 and verse 12. Verse 11. We'll start at verse 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord. When God speaks like that, ears must be open. Every knee shall bow to me. You know, we say every knee shall bow. But you know, when we say that, we forget about ours. Did you hear that? See, you're thinking about that guy who hasn't accepted Christ down the street over there. Well, one day you're going to bow your knee before your Maker. Well, that may be true, but my brother and sister, every knee, it says, that means yours and that means mine. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Well, confess what? Well, let's listen. So then every one of us shall give account, which means an oral discourse. Every one of us will stand before, kneel before God to give an oral discourse of himself to God. So Paul said, whether you be in the body or out of the body, if you want to be well-pleasing to God while you're in the body, eagerly strive to be well-pleasing unto Him, knowing that you'll not escape the judgment seat of Christ and that everything that you do, you'll have to give an oral discourse at the judgment seat of Christ for it all. And whatever was done with a wrong motive or improper attitude, it'll be burned up like that. Everything that is inconsistent with His divine nature will be burned up just like that. Our God is a consuming fire. And it's the fire of His holiness that will consume the wrong attitudes, the motives, and everything else that is inconsistent with His holiness. Well, we just have to go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, and we'll just close it there, but we'll pick up with the willful... Should we pick up with the willful offender at the picnic? <laughs> Anyone hear, hear a message on gluttony right now? Oh, Lord, help us. Verse 25. So in light of all that we've said, let's, let's look at verse 25. Now, I said, underline these words. See that you refuse 
not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn. What's the message to the righteous? If the righteous turn from their righteousness to commit iniquity, they will die in their sin. And the righteousness that they have committed will no longer be remembered. If we refuse to listen to God in light of the presence of His holiness, the consuming fire of His holiness, and we turn from His standards of righteousness to set up our own lifestyle, to pursue our own plans, to pursue our own purposes, if we do that and we refuse His standard of righteousness for our lives, how shall you escape? Because He's the one who has spoken from heaven. And the mountain that you've come to is Mount Sion. And the fire that you're confronted with is the consuming fire of God's holiness. That's what He's saying. I wish we had time to go on. We don't. So, the word turn. Just take the definition. We'll close it right there. It means to turn back. It means to turn oneself away. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.